BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings! Here we are, Jack. It's the call-up. It is the top 20 prospects in baseball. I'm R.M. Layton. He's Jack. And I know you've been waiting for this. Uh, I know a lot of people have been waiting for this. And I'm very excited to break down these top 20 prospects. Of course, by now, most people probably have already cheated and went and looked at the Just Baseball yeah. Top 100, which is not cheating, actually. I encourage you to do that. Um, and, and I hope you revisit it and, and go back to the write-ups and use it kind of as a, you know, a template, a glossary, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but this is an opportunity, Jack, for us to talk about the 20 best prospects in baseball. And that's always something that's extremely fun. Yeah. And these are the names that we talk about constantly, man. I mean, these are the names that we bring up on the call up. They're names that we bring up on the Just Baseball show. They're names that the local broadcast of your favorite MLB team brings up constantly because you're always keeping track of the number one, number two guy in your organization. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about pretty much every team's number one guy or number two guy if you've got a particularly deep system a la Baltimore um, or, or a la some other teams. But I mean, this is the gold standard, right? And, and I think it's so funny. You mentioned um, we, we separated Marcelo Meyer and Jordan Lawler by an episode. I didn't know that we would talk about Marcelo Meyer, have to wait an entire weekend and then talk about Jordan Lawler because yeah. so much of what we talk about is those two in the same breath. It was kind of refreshing. I, it was <laughs> funny. We, we finished that episode and I was like, oh man, we can't stack these two guys together. Um, and, and that's where we're going to start years with number 20 and Jordan Lawler. And, um, you know, we're so used to Meyer Lawler, Meyer Lawler and, and comparing the two. And honestly, I think this was like a wonderful gift from the baseball gods, which was, how about you just separate these two and give them their time individually? And, uh, you know, you mentioned something when we brought up Pete Crow Armstrong not too long ago. Uh, and you said, you know, and I was guilty of this. 
I hope that we can just talk about Pete Crow Armstrong without tying him to Javi Baez in the trade and how bad that was and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I think this is something similar. I think we're going to get to a point where it's like, I hope we can talk about Lawler and Meyer, you know, separately and, and just appreciate who they are as players because they're very different. Yeah. Even in that Meyer breakdown uh, in that last episode, we I ended up teasing a little bit of what we were going to talk about with Lawler. And, um, you know, naturally speaking here, and I'm going to focus on just Lawler this time. And you know, th- this guy goes up to number 20 for us and uh, probably has a chance to be one of the best prospects in baseball uh, by the mid- mid-season update next year. I, th- I think he's going to have another really strong fall league and overall look really good. But, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to move too much in that regard uh, in the prospect list. We're going to do a-, a-, a very quiet update after the fall league, you're not going to see much movement, just a couple guys, maybe up or down based on that performance. And uh, maybe a little bit more information that I've gotten that to, to just kind of bump some players here or there. You might see some small movement. Lawler probably won't be one of those, but it's because he already set the bar so high this year, Jack. I mean, it, what he did this season uh, to, to really be able to make it to double a, of course he struggled in double, but finished very strong and even still showed the power. I know that the consistency wasn't there. Um, I know the batting average wasn't where you'd like to see it, but still hit the four home runs. Like the speed was still a factor. The defense remained consistent. I'll bet that the consistency at the plate will come around by the time he goes back next year and, and returns to double. A. I think he's going to hit the ground running there next year. I mean, this is a guy that has five-tool potential. The question is how much power, but I think we saw him tap into a, a good deal of it this year. It, there's not much to not like, right? Like, I mean, th- this game is so well-rounded. There's so much to like there, and you know, I, I don't think there is much concern around Lawler at this point. It's just really how high is the ceiling going to be, and that all kind of lies in the hands of how much the bat develops. Yeah, and – it's the bat that we talk about with Jordan Lawler, but you know, he, he shut up the critics for the most part this year. And granted he was playing in Madeira, Visalia, Hillsborough and Amarillo, all pretty hitter friendly, but listen, across a hundred games, a 300, 400, 500 slash line is still 300, 400, 500. And he was yep. 303, 401, 509 slashing with a 910 OPS. That is all you can ask Jordan Lawler to do. And if he's a 300 hitter, swiping 39 bases, hitting 16 homers in hitter-friendly environments at age 19, I mean, the the bat tells you that it's going to keep on developing. He's going to tap into more power with that frame. But, dude, it's it's how good he is defensively, how well he moves, that is going to make him a dynamic star with the chance to become a superstar at the major league level. It's funny because that was one of those swings, you know, when we're going off the high school video before we move on to number 19, it's it's tough to to really be able to peg guys. And and I saw Lawler getting some, you know, questions around the hit tool when he was first getting drafted. I'm looking at the swing. I'm like, you know, maybe it looks different in game, but the batting practice I'm looking at, even the short clips, I'm like, this is a pretty simple swing. This is an athletic guy who repeats his moves, who relies on natural bat speed. And I think we saw that. And those kind of guys they'll really eat a little bit extra in the good environments. But guess what? He's going to hit in a lot of really hitter-friendly environments. I think 20 home runs is very fair to expect. I think 30 stolen bases is definitely uh, fair to expect. His approach is ahead of his years. He doesn't chase much. Bat-to-ball skills are good enough already. You see the walk rates, very solid. Strikeout rates, palatable. Again, 19 years old this whole season as well. Uh, Just turned 20 years old. So very young was able to adapt to every level. The defense gives him a really high floor. The athleticism solidifies that floor. And I thought he did a pretty good job as the year went on of hitting the ball in the air more. This is a five-tool player, potentially power, probably you know lacking a little bit. But if he hits 20 home runs with all the other complementary tools you're going to get here and walks as much as he has, he's going to be a menace on the bases. And I think he's going to be a, an F-war machine 
uh, for what that's worth, which is a lot. And and I think there's some like shades of of Trey Turner, maybe not as much of the hit tool, but there's shades there of the athleticism, the ability to get on base and the well-rounded game that you can't really poke a hole in. A hundred percent, man. I I love the Trey Turner idea. And and I think that is like totally a ceiling here, but I think floor too. And you mentioned with how good defensively and how electric he is doing things other than hit. I mean, the floor is one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. That is a bat that you're excited to have in the six or seven spot in your lineup. The ceiling is one of the best two hitters in baseball, man. I'm thinking the floor is, I I don't want to say Nico Horner because Nico Horner is, is very, very talented, but I think you can expect a Nico Horner outcome from Lawler with the chance to develop into that Trey Turner type player. Yeah, and, and odds are somewhere in between, and that's a hell of a baseball player. A hell of a player. Fringe so, all-star every year. Yep, and I think that's really what he's going to be. The floor just so much more solid than and I think a lot of people thought it would be. You check in at 19, and this is another prospect. And that's the thing is we get to this range, for the most part, it's going to be solidly high floors and, and guys that still have that upside too, uh, but there's not as much variance here. And I think Brett Beatty of the, of the New York Mets says, there's little variances you're going to find. Uh, you know, it is it is really a question of just – you know, how much power does he hit for? Is he more of a 25 home run guy or is he going to hit enough to be more in the 30 to 35 home run department? But I really have no questions about Brett Beatty's bat anymore. I think he's made the improvements to play at an average third base. He's without a doubt the future for the Mets at that position should be their opening day starter uh, at third base. I don't know what the plan is with Escobar and you know what that's really not a problem. I don't think that should factor in at all. The big question for Beatty was can he hit the ball in the air? Uh, because this guy hits the crap out of the baseball. He hits it really, really hard. You talk about a 90th percentile exit velo of 107.3 this year. That is well, well, well above average. One of the better figures you're going to see, actually. And uh, the, the bat-to-ball skills are phenomenal. You know, 83 to 84% zone contact. He, he chases a little bit, but that got better as the year went on. Uh, he had really steady numbers across the board. And uh, what impressed me the most is if you look at the ground ball rate, Jack, that significantly dropped from previous years that's what was really sapping his power and i don't think it's a coincidence that we saw him you know slug better than we've really ever seen him slug you're better when you lift you're better when you lift the baseball and brett Beatty totally exemplifies that he is so much of a better hitter when he lifts the baseball and you can see it man i mean this is another guy in double and triple 315, 410, 533. Yep. I don't know if you can expect 315 from him at the major league level. I, I don't think you can. I think he's going to be in the mid to uh, higher 200s. Like yeah, I think the 270 guy, 275, that's going to yeah. get on base. Yeah, I'm in on that, man. Um, I So funny, Ryan Finkelstein, the managing editor at Just Baseball, this is before I even knew him. This was August 12, 2021. And we published an article on the site and you were like, you got to read this this dude. He's he's so good. I think he can do some great stuff for us. And it was years later, Mets still searching for David Wright's replacement. Yeah. And it was all about the shortcomings at third base for the New York Mets after David Wright um, called it quits on his career. I'm not saying Beatty's David Wright. Nobody's saying Beatty's David Wright. But, but for once, you're going to have a consistent presence at third base yep. for the New York Mets in the form of Brett Beatty, which is really cool. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is this is a, a potential franchise, you know, cornerstone here, one of your main pieces of the future, as is Francisco Alvarez, who we'll get to, and, you know, a lot of other guys. It, it, there's there's something that has been desired there. I think Ryan Finkelstein did a really good job of, of highlighting that. And you look at the ground ball, right, specifically. 
57% ground ball rate last year, drops that to 44 this year. When you hit the ball as hard as you do, uh, as, as Brett Beatty does, so many of those fly balls leave the yard and he just wasn't hitting it in the air nearly enough. We're looking at a guy that has an above average field to hit plus plus raw power. Uh, he's starting to tap into it more. So that's going to be the question. How much of that raw power turns into game power? He took the biggest step he could possibly take this year by cutting that ground ball rate by 13%. Beatty's going to be a problem. I think he's going to be a menace in the NL East. And this is why we saw that them aggressively promote him from double A after just a cup of coffee and triple because of how advanced he is at the plate. And I still think there's a little bit more room for muscle makeups off the charts. This is a safe bet for a guy that's going to be a big part of the Mets future for, you know, a, a long time, I think at third base. Yeah, and, and you did have a backup plan in Vientos, and we talked about Vientos. I, Mark Vientos, a guy in AAA this year, had a 48% ground ball rate, and, mm-hmm. and that was higher than you wanted there. Mm-hmm. 57 is unpalatable. No, you can't, you, can't, you can't get away with that unless you, you are can't. a – and then that, I, I wouldn't even want to see that from Sal Freelich, you know? No, absolutely not. That from anybody. is brutal. The, the yeah. guys that had a ground ball rate, qualified hitters with a ground ball rate over 50% in AAA baseball this year, Ford Proctor, Kramer Robertson, Gilbert Sanchez, Ryan Valade, Jermaine Palacios, Keen Wong, Forrest Wall, Adam Hazley, Travis Swaggerty, Bryson Brigman. Out of those names that I just listed, <laughs> one is a major league player in Swaggerty, and even yeah, then, right. what is he, a fourth outfielder? Yeah. No, respectfully, you don't want to be in that group. So no. huge, huge, huge change for Brett Beatty that I think is is a big testament to the lower half and you know, being able to stay in his backside better, not drifting. And, and that's why we're seeing him just start to mash baseballs in the air. Hope he comes back from that thumb injury that unfortunately cut the season short. Should be just fine. Has plenty of time to get back from that. Tristan Casas checks in at 18, Red Sox first base prospect. So we got to see a little bit of the end of the year, which I was so glad we got to see Casas. It was a little bit of that classic rookie, get your feet under your kind of debut, but we saw him already tap into the power. Five homers in 27 games was really impressive. Also walked plenty. Uh, The strikeouts were, were palatable. We're talking about 95 plate appearances. He struck out, what was it, 23 times a little high it's not a disaster for a rookie who's hitting for power right out right away and also hedges that with 19 walks this is what he's going to be though uh and not in terms of 197 358 408 slash on what he's going to be is a guy that taps into power gets on base at a high clip and i think he's going to continue to see his strikeout rate drop as he matures as a hitter he's 22 years old he missed a big year of his, his development in 2020 and has been banged up through the minor leagues. We saw him play a full season in 2019, roughly 118 games. Then 2021 was was cut short for him too because of injuries. He only played 80-something games with that being after a canceled season in 2020. So this guy's still very young in his development as a high school guy. Um, and I think he's going to keep getting better as we see him get more big league at bats, right? His peak might be at 25 years old, 26 years old. And for the first three seasons, he's a very good baseball player. And then he turns into that superstar at 26 and nobody's surprised, right? That's what I think Casas is going to be. The way we saw Freddie Freeman continuously get better as his career went on, I think we're going to see that from Casas. What I love about this guy is above average field to hit uh, that turns into a really good hitter because of the phenomenal approach, elite raw power, so I'm at a 6'4", 240-pound masher, makeup off the charts, work ethic off the charts. Uh, this is a bat that I've I've loved for a long time, and I'll bet on this guy. You know, I'll I'll sink on this ship, and the Tristan Casas ship. That's that's a house I will I will let go down uh, around me. I'm not giving up on this guy ever, and I think you had a great debut. Yeah, I don't I don't think the ship's going down. I think you're going to safely arrive at your destination here. Um, mm-hmm. I I think Casas is a guy. 
you know, we talk about Vladdy Jr., right? You're scared to play third base when Vladdy Jr. is hitting. You're scared to play third base when Austin Riley's hitting. I'm not saying Costas is going to be Vladdy or Austin Riley, but this is a guy where I, I think if you are defensively at first base, you get a shiver down your spine when Tristan Costas comes in because you are expecting a screamer of a line driver, a ground ball hit in your general direction. And, and that's terrifying. I think that he can be one of those big, menacing line drive thumpers. And I think yeah. the field of hit and, and the way that the ball comes off his bat is going to be incredible. I think that this is a guy that can slam the baseball. I, it's funny. You talk about the, the blend of field of hit with just elite power and size. It's And again, I'm not saying he's these guys, but these are guys you have to draw from, right? When we're talking about someone who we do think could be a superstar. Jordan Alvarez has this ability as a monster hitter to also be a good hitter. And and that's what stands out to me with Casas is he has the monster power. We saw him hit a home run 480 feet this year, but he's also just a good hitter. You look at, he's not just a big guy that takes hacks, right? With two strikes, what does Casas do? He spreads out and he he eliminates the leg kick and goes with a little toe tap and, and, and swings. Guess what? The power is still there. But that kind of Swing malleability, that kind of uh, just ability to adjust with two strikes that very few guys can do and even less guys can do with his kind of power. Uh, that's something that you don't see very often. This kid was born to play baseball. I watched him come up in South Florida, committed to Miami. He's an eighth grader, uh, was was a guy that we didn't want to pitch to when I played him in high school when he was a freshman and we were seniors and they had other really good players in American Heritage there. This kid was born to hit. Like It sounds hyperbolic and dramatic, but I mean, they, they had to put new netting in American Heritage High School when he was a freshman because he was raining home runs on houses. Like, And that's a place where a lot of former big leaguers have run through. Like, he has just always been that guy that has different aspects that you don't see very often uh, to his game. And I think he's going to continue to be that guy. And he's just built to endure a major league baseball season and, and just continue to get better. 22 years old. I thought he had a great debut. I'm very excited about his future. I think he's going to be one of the best first basemen in the game for the foreseeable future. I really do. Yeah. A couple of guys that have come through American heritage, Brandon Barriera, who just went first round to Toronto this year. Uh, your friend, Corey Acton, Mark, yeah. Vientos, uh, Corey Acton at Georgia, but Mark Vientos, um, you know, obviously Vientos is great. Zach Collins, another guy, Devin, Romero, Devin Marrero, Eric Hosmer, um, Adrian Nieto too. I mean, this is, this has been a, a factory. Absolutely has Corey Acton of the Atlanta Braves, ninth round pick actually of the Braves. Yeah. Awesome. Man. Of the Georgia Bulldogs. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, checking in at 17, we got Kyle Harrison. Yes. Left-handed pitching prospect, San Francisco giants. And, um, it's funny. One of the comments we got on this top 100 list was, you know, the Tiedemann Harrison, and we we're talking about guys that are going to be grouped together. That's another one. And somebody commented kind of making the case for Harrison and saying, you know, it's the control over command debate. You know, while Tiedemann throws more strikes when Harrison's locked in, he hits his spots. And I, I think that's all fair. Uh, I think it is fair. And we'll get to Tiedemann. Uh, but just focusing on on Harrison, the command is a tough thing to, to to peg for him because there's sometimes where he's just you know missing the zone, and then there's times where he's just he's pounding the glove. Um, and and I'm assuming that's going to continue to get more consistent for him because I mean, this kid, even with fringy command or somewhat inconsistent command, his three pitch mix is disgusting, and yeah. and he already commands it well enough that no one really hits him. He's had some of the best performances uh, of the minor league season. When he was on, it was, you know, nine up, nine down, nine Ks. Like it, it was that kind of stuff. 
Fastball explodes. That's a plus pitch with ease. Slider is nasty, and the changeup is a good pitch as well. And that's three big league pitches right now, two plus pitches, and a third one that has a chance to be already a big league average pitch. Uh, there's not really many questions around this guy, whether just he's going to be able to command his stuff at the big league level. And I'd say with a 20, is he 21 now or still 20? 20, 20, still 20. 20-year-old 20 no, who already 21. has 21-year-old who already has success in double A. Uh, I, I think he's going to progress just fine. I think so, too. And, and this was a guy that started his age 20 season in high A um, and was too good for high A. A one five five ERA and seven starts in Eugene. Uh, Eugene is not an easy place to pitch. Um, that's the thing. Like when a guy proves that they are too good for a level where they are three years younger than the average yeah. pitcher. In a bad environment. <laughs> yeah, you have to view this guy as one of the best pitching prospects in the game. And he gets to Richmond, double A. This is a high school draftee in 2020. And, and here he is in double A in 2022, throwing to a 3-1 ERA and punching out 13 and a half guys per nine. Yeah, are the walks concerning? Will 3.9 walks per nine uh, across high A and double turn into four when he first gets his taste of Major League Baseball? Maybe. Possibly. Um but you got to look at this guy as as someone who can survive off the stuff, and it is literally all about confidence within the strike zone. Yep. If we see confidence within the strike zone, he can unlock something that that few pitchers in the game have. And as somebody that watched the White Sox constantly, like that's the exact arc that I needed to monitor with Dylan Cease. Yeah, if this guy has confidence within the strike zone, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He can thrive within the strike zone. That's exactly Kyle Harrison's thing. One other thing on Kyle Harrison, I read uh, Farhan Zaidi, uh, one of his comments um, after the regular season concluded, he was asked about Kyle Harrison and he said something along the lines of, we expect Kyle to be in the rotation at some point next year. And it was like possibly early, right? It was possibly like- early. I mean, if this is a team, the Giants are never interested in rebuilding, right? And Kyle Harrison, it, it's not whether he can help you next year, it's how much he can help you, right? Yeah. What version, is it going to be the Dylan Cease kind of inconsistency off the bat, but the stuff is just so good that he's going to give you great starts? Or, you know, is he going to be jumping right off and, and getting off to a ridiculous start and, and carving? I think both are very feasible, but I think it's going to be just whether he helps you a little bit or helps you a lot. And either way, I think you could use him uh, pretty early in the season next year. If he strings together a few good starts, I assume he starts in AAA. Uh, I think you got to give him a, a, a really hard look at the big league level. And here's the biggest thing with him. 17 of his 25 starts, he struck out seven or more. I mean, yeah. like th- that that's for me is somebody that's always going to be able to navigate even when the stuff isn't totally, or even when the command, excuse me, is not totally there. Uh, the last thing I'll say on Harrison is, and this is what makes him such a good pitching prospect and, and makes his ceiling so high is, any of his three pitches, there's going to be several times each year where he dominates a lineup with a different one of his three pitches. That's how good each of them can be, right? One day the slider is going to be on and he just carves you with that. More days than not, the fastball is going to be on and he just abuses you with that. There's going to be days where the changeup, he's got a feel for it, and he carves up hitters with that. And what he does really well is he shows you one first time through the lineup, shows you another one the second time through the lineup, but the fastball always setting the tone. Like that is how you go deep into ball games. He did that more this year than he ever has and we also saw him rack up the strikeouts in ridiculous numbers yeah and when we're talking timeline just one quick comparison of the timeline here spencer strider last year started the year in low a he was too good across four starts 
one run, 32 punch outs, five walks, and 15 and a third. He gets the bump to double A, three starts. He was pretty solid there, two, four, five ERA. And then he spent the overwhelming majority of the year in double A, and he had a four, seven ERA there. Kyle Harrison had a 3-1 in double-A. Granted, two years younger, Strider was a college guy at Clemson, but, I mean, it's not unheard of to have Kyle Harrison break spring training with the San Francisco Giants next year. You shouldn't be shocked if it happens. Not if he looks, you know, strong in spring training the way we saw Mackenzie Gore, different situation, but the way Mackenzie Gore looked in spring training, if Kyle Harrison has one of those types of uh, springs, could make a strong case for a team, again, that has no interest in delaying being competitive, especially if Kyle Harrison can help them. A team that does have interest in delaying being competitive is the Washington Nationals. And as part of that plan, they went and got somebody who could be one of the best players in Major League Baseball if it all pans out. Uh, James Wood, outfield prospect, Washington Nationals, came over in that Juan Soto deal, was a a big sticking point in the conversations, according to John Heyman. And I believe that. I believe that. I I do think there was a level of the Padres saying, hey, you know, you want to take Jackson Merrill instead? Are you sure? Like, why don't we give you somebody else? We're already giving you so many prospects. Are you sure you want James Wood? Because the Padres, look, I I assume that they weren't going to let James Wood stop them from getting, you know, Juan Soto. And obviously they didn't. But this is a guy that I would I would really be afraid to trade because this is one that you can look back on and be like, holy crap, they traded a young James Wood before they really knew what he could be or before they really got to see what he could be. I think they know what he can be and and what James Wood can possibly become is the best player in Major League Baseball that is not hyperbolic whatsoever. The question is, there's been a lot of other guys that we've said that that who don't end up sniffing that area. And and that's the challenge. And I think my last sentence in this write up which for those watching on YouTube, um, I think, it, thank you. Uh, I, for those watching on YouTube, they can read it, but I'm going to you know read it out loud for those listening. And I know you edited this one and I texted you and I was like, was that a little bit too dramatic? But I, I think it's important to put into context. Like we forget how high we were on the busts sometimes. And I, I don't want to start with him being a bust. I want to start with this because then I'm going to be singing the praises like none other. And I want to just acknowledge that there's still plenty of risk when we have a six foot seven monster masher uh, like James Wood. But this is what I said. Impressive knowledge of the strike zone and ability to play all three outfield spots have him looking like a potential Aaron Judge type of talent. But for every judge, there are dozens of John Mayberry juniors. You remember that kind of ceiling that he had. That said, the more James Wood I see, the more belief I have that he can be closer to judge than Mayberry. I don't think he's going to be. Aaron Judge, obviously. But I think he's going to be a hell of a lot closer to that than than John Mayberry Jr. And we'll get into the specific tools. But I, I know you put a lot into the you know, the, the storyline in the background on these guys and how we perceive these guys, Jack. And, you know, where are you at on all that? Um, um, you know, we can be as narrative-driven as we can possibly want to be. But at the end of the day, James Wood is a guy that hit 313 with a 536 slugging. And in 76 games... Uh-huh had 20 bags, 27 doubles, 12 homers, and struck out 75 times in 76 games. So if the bat-to-ball is that good, and he's 6'7", 240, and he's already tapping into this much prodigious power at 19 years old, I mean, you, you can't cap his ceiling. No. It, 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 here's the crazy thing. Playing a good center field, that's what floored me. And this guy moves. The other thing that floored me was the bat-to-ball skills. 
86% zone contacts from a kid who's 6'7", 230 at a high yeah. school Stupid. that is going straight to low end. Like, that is what is crazy to me, too. The power is stupid as well. 109-mile-per-hour, 90th percentile exit velo is off the charts. I'll get into that contextually in a second. We saw him hit a home run 476 feet this year. We've seen him hit 113, 114, 115 mile per hour exit velos, which is also ridiculous. But just like for context, a fully grown up Vlad Guerrero Jr., one of the best in the exit velo department in all of baseball, 111 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo. James Wood is already 109.1. And I think he's going to continue to to get better in that department. Like he still has room to fill out. Uh, he, he still is learning how to tap into his power, but the approach is really impressive for his age. Walking in 15% clip. I know it's a lower level, but he doesn't chase that much. I, the biggest thing that floors me is the bats ball. 86% zone contact for a guy of his size is ridiculous. And he's further along than Aaron judge was at age 20. I can tell you that. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. Um, no, I, you, I run out of things to like add on James Wood because you could say, and he's a great defensive center fielder, right? And he swipes twenty bags, and you know, he is—he's just so stupidly good. Um, I guess my question for you is, what's the floor? That's the thing. <laughs> the floor is—is—is is, is, is anything? That's—that's that's the challenge. Right? We're talking about a guy that's only played at low A. I will say the athleticism helps a lot. Um, the fact that he can play all three outfield spots, I think he could stick in center unless he gets a little bit heavier. But I, I think with what we've seen bat to ball wise, I think the power and the hit ability is just too far along that you have some in some capacity a a big league platoon bat at the very worst. We're like, gosh, if he put it all together, my goodness, would he be great? He never quite puts it together. I just don't see how he doesn't because as crazy as that sounds, I I just look at a guy that is so far along at just turning 20 years old. And, you know, I, I think there's a really good chance that he is, he reaches somewhere close to that ceiling. I think, you know, he ends up moving to a corner. Maybe the bat to ball isn't as great at the higher levels. And okay. Instead he's a 35 home run, 40 home run guy. Who's still going to hit for decent average and play great defense in a corner. <laughs> like That's the craziest part. Um, this guy's going to be a problem. And, and if he gets off to a good start next year, Look for him to even be a contender for number one prospect in baseball. The only reason he's not top 10 is just you know, we haven't seen enough, and that's really it. And he starts in high A next year? Yes. Yeah. Which is going to be a, a good challenge. It should be a lot of fun. Good challenge. Number 15. Number 15 is the biggest mystery uh, in of this season. Daniel Espino, right-handed pitching prospect, Cleveland Guardian. Someone who I, in watching him last year, I was all the way sold. Uh, the stuff is stupid. Uh, this is one of the few guys that the Guardians have drafted that it's like stuff over command, but the command is also good, so it wasn't really a problem. But the stuff was obviously just further along. Only guy that I had in this top 100 with an 80 future value on the fastball. That's how disgusting his fastball is, both below life, low release point, just so many characteristics of the fastball that make it dynamite. You also have a, a plus-plus slider here and then an above-average changeup and curveball that flashes above average to go with good command. I mean, dude, just look at the numbers from the last year and a half. This guy has the potential to be one of the best pitchers in baseball, but we didn't see him throw since what May, and all that uh, we were given, I all that April. we were April, all that we were given was maybe a knee issue with no follow ups, no information, no details. Very, very weird. Uh, but focusing on the player, ninety six and ninety eight mile per hour fastball with twenty one inches of induced vertical break. That sounds like it's encroaching eighty grade fastball for me. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I mean. 18 and a third innings this year, 35 strikeouts, four walks. 
17 Ks per nine, two walks per nine. In four At double A, right? Uh, double A. Yeah, I mean, he is so ridiculously good. And we talk about him being the taste breaker from the rest of the Guardians pitching prospects. Um, you know, you even look up top, right? Bieber, seasoned college guy. Quantrill, seasoned college guy. And then you look at the at the uh, the farm and all of the pitching prospects on the farm. They're all seasoned college guys, except for Tristan McKenzie, who just turned in an excellent start in Game Two of the Wild Card Series, and Daniel Espino, who is this? You know, he's from Panama, but went to high school in Georgia, um, and this is a guy that had disgusting stuff. Does it work out? Ethan Hankins was the other guy that when the when Cleveland took him in the first round, it was, oh, wow, this guy could turn into a star. That was not the case, but they aced it with Tristan McKenzie and Daniel Espino. Absolutely. I mean, this guy, assuming he's healthy, I don't know what that what, what the injury issue is, but assuming he's healthy, ace of aces potential here. With yes. The fastball slider combination, the command is already pretty solid, too. I think that's something that's really slept on with the kind of stuff he has. The command is really solid. His mechanics have smoothed out a lot over the years. Um, I'm a huge fan of this guy. And a 16% swinging strike rate on his fastball is comical. Uh, this was the one stat before we move on to the next guy. And this is what kind of put the fastball in the 70 the, with the 80 future territory because Spencer Strider would be an 80 grade fastball, you know, if he was a prospect right now. I think that's very clear. Uh, but since the start of the 2021 season, Espino has recorded 16, a 16% string, swinging strike rate on his fastball, one of the best clips in professional baseball. Expanding to the rest of his stuff, Espino has posted the second best swinging strike rate among qualified pitchers in the minors in 2021, behind only Spencer Strider. Uh, I think things worked out pretty well for Strider, who just got paid $75 million in that pre-arb deal. Yes, I think so. And, and Espino is not going to be the you know pre-arb crazy guy because we've got no idea what's going on. Yep. Um, but if he does come back and he looks great and it looks like he didn't miss a beat, then here we are. He becomes one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. Yeah, someone who I do think can be a pre-arb guy um, is Ezekiel Tovar, 14th overall on our top 100 list, uh, shortstop Colorado Rockies, who got a taste of the big leagues at the end of the year for nine games, which was surprising um, because this was a player that was lighting up double A as one of the youngest players at the level and then also playing great defense, then gets hurt. So, you know, only played 66 games in double A, returns from the IL and goes straight to triple, basically. Plays five games there continues to mash and the Rockies said, you know what? Screw it. Why don't you come up to the big leagues for two weeks? And he went up there. Look, he struggled a little bit. Uh, it was a big jump for him, uh, but it was great to get his feet wet there. I assume he's going to start the season up there next year. He's one of my favorites to win rookie of the year I, because of what he can do with the glove, which is, I think be one of the best defenders at shortstop in the entire game. Then with what we saw from the bat, let's talk about the, what was it? 66 games in double a, in a very pitcher-friendly environment in Hartford. Yes. 13 homers, 17 stolen bases. He hit 318, 386, 545 while playing elite defense. I had Jimmy Heron on the podcast, Colorado Rockies prospect, who you know played with him for most of the season in Hartford. And Jimmy really highlighted the, the maturity of Tovar, being a rare occasion of one of the few Latin players on a very predominantly, you know, American team, English speaking team, and how much he still fit in and was so comfortable and outgoing. And, you know, it, that it was a weird spot for the youngest player to also be one of the few Spanish speakers on the team. And he just settled right in. Uh, so you talk about that off the field, talk about what he's done on the field. Uh, he is a really, really good shortstop. 
It's an incredible shortstop. And we talk about the floor of Jordan Lawler. The floor is higher for Ezekiel Tovar. Yep. And that's yep. why he is higher than Lawler because you, you can dream on similar things um, offensively between Tovar and Lawler. I think Ezekiel Tovar, I'm with you, man. He, he fits the Jeremy Pena template yep. so well where he immediately becomes one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball and he can survive and maybe thrive with the bat. And, you know, it, it is his rookie of the year candidacy is a blend of Pena and Jonathan India, right? Yep. Hitter friendly nature, everyday nature of India playing in that, in that ballpark. And then you've got just an incredible, um, you know, defensive acumen like Pena. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that's really solidifies the floor, like you said, but he's got the speed, uh, maybe not as much raw power as Pena, but I'd say better bat to ball and younger just turned 21 years old. Uh, and, and to do what he did in age 20 season, his approach could get a little bit better. He's aggressive. You look at a 36% chase rate. That's definitely high, but the bat to ball skills are good enough that he gets away with it. He also hits the ball pretty hard. Not as hard as Pena, but above average exit velos. You'll get above average exit velos, above average field to hit. That's going to translate into maybe plus production in Colorado as he matures. The approach is the one thing to monitor. Very aggressive against secondary stuff. And, you know, as, as he improves that, this guy's going to be a, a definite force for the Colorado Rockies. And I think he's a big part of their future at shortstop. He's going to defend. He's going to hit. If Jose Iglesias did what he did for them, I mean, imagine what Tovar is going to do as he matures and, and as he just continues to get more ABs under his belt. 21% K rate, 8% walk rate. The walk rate's low, but he hits small in the air, which is great, and he can motor. 17 for 20 on stolen bases. He's a good runner. He's only going to get better. He's one of my favorite prospects in baseball, given the high floor but still high ceiling to dream on. I'm telling you, man, they're exciting. <laughs> These Colorado Rockies, they're fun. They're exciting. Uh, Adeo Amador can't sleep on him either, who we already <laughs> talked about in previous episodes, but that middle infield should be fun. Uh, and, and as soon as maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Ricky Tiedemann, left-handed pitching prospect, Toronto Blue Jays. If, if there's a prospect in this, you know, maybe top 13 range, top 15 range that a team needs uh, as bad as anybody, it might be how badly the Blue Jays need Ricky Tiedemann. We just saw it on the playoff uh, stage, you know, just their pitching where they're at there. And Tiedemann's somebody that I think, Similar to the Kyle Harrison situation, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blue Jays try to fast-track this guy to the big leagues next year in some capacity. The problem with Tiedemann is that he's not been built up too much, but this left-handed pitching prospect has been just insane for the Blue Jays. One of the biggest risers, I think, this season, if you really look at what he has. Three-pitch mix, similar to Harrison, the three potentially plus big league pitches. Command is a little bit further along than Harrison, and he's more physically projectable at 6'4", 220. That's what makes him the best left-handed pitching prospect in the game. Uh, but we didn't see him stretched out too much. That's something to monitor. He really went more three, four, maybe five-inning spurts for the most part, but he struck just about everybody out. The command was really solid. And, I mean, we saw him mix in those three pitches really well. Ricky Tiedemann has, you know, front-line upside. Total frontline upside. I mean, ace upside. And you don't need him to be an ace because you've got Manoa and you've got Gosman. If Ricky Tiedemann can fill a spot in the rotation that was lacking spots being filled next year, the Blue Jays should be considered legitimate World Series contenders. And I know that we were talking about them as legitimate World Series contenders this year, but the, the stark drop-off after Manoa and Gosman in the rest of the rotation yep. did them in, and we saw it. When, when Manoa faltered in the Wild Card Series, it was game over, and, and Seattle was going to win that series. If Tiedemann can get up, and by all accounts, he can. I mean, it was a 1-8 ERA in six starts in low A. It was a 2-4 ERA in eight starts in high A. 
it was a 2-4 ERA in four starts in double-A. If he continues to roll through all these spots with sub-three ERAs, who's to say that he can't be up in the middle of the summer next year for the Jays? And I think that he will be. And I'm yep. with you, man. They need him more than they need to breathe because you, you fumbled with Nate Pearson. Um, it seems like you're fumbling with Jose Barrios, and he might be able to bounce back. You and, fumbled with Hunjin Ryu. You fumbled with Kikuchi. And I mean, they they go out and you know make some trades. We know they that depleted the system in, in some ways. I mean, Gunnar Hoglund was really the only other arm I was excited about, and he ends up you know getting sent out of town anyways. And and he was banged up all year, even trying to come off Tommy John, and has been a bit of a question mark too. So the Jays don't have a great system. Tiedemann is a nice find out of Golden West Junior College. He was a prospect out of high school, but you know yeah. didn't quite get offered enough money. Figured he can have one good year and Juco and go to the draft. Oh, yeah. Went third round, got over, saw it worked out for him. Um, but if they can stretch him out, which is what I'm interested to see, and I assume he's going to start in the minor leagues and, and maybe AAA next year, they try to stretch him out five, six innings. And if they can get him there, I think he's up in a couple months. One thing I just want to preface here is he doesn't get hit hard at all. Whether you're a lefty, whether you're a righty, whatever. It's a fastball changeup slider. Uses the three pitch as well. I think you can imagine the changeup goes to the righties. Slider often goes to the lefties. But both pitches are so good, he will mix and match them against same-handed or opposite-handed and, and really just kind of keeps hitters on their toes. Opponents this year from both sides of the plate, 149, 252, 226 slash time. It's a 479 OPS allowed. Uh, and he also gets ground balls, which is, anytime you get strikeouts and ground balls, you're a safe bet to be really good. I always look at Luis Castillo as that example. Yep. 39% strikeout rate, 49% ground ball rate. Yeah, you're usually in pretty good shape. Yeah, super good shape. Um, no, man. I mean, Tiedemann's going to be fun. Hindsight 2020, but I, I bet Blue Jays fans are wishing they had Simeon Woods Richardson right now. Ah, yeah, he looks pretty good. He, he looks great. Look pretty good. Right. Um, yeah, again, yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but that guy uh, could be a top one hundred update guy uh, if he continues looking the way he has looked. Anthony Volpe, somebody who was not really available in any trade talks for the Yankees, and for good reason. He's a number twelfth prospect in our top one hundred. I mean, this this guy, even after a slow start, ends up turning in just a phenomenal season. This is another one of those players that just fits the ball player category right i mean there's there's just no hole to poke in his game uh, he is instinctually such a good baseball player uh, but above average speed it's 55s across the board and then what's amazing is even though he doesn't hit the crap out of the ball in terms of exit velos they're solid above average exit velos he taps into it's one of the only guys you'll see if you look at the grades 55 raw power 50 to 55 raw power, but you can see 55 to 60 game power, more game power than raw power. Very rare. And it's because of how good he is at lifting. He almost never hits the ball on the ground. And uh, when he drives in the air, it's got impressive carry. Uh, and he hits a lot of line drives too. He's just a really good hitter who knows how to tap into every ounce of the power that he has, plays great defense, and just has such a well-rounded game. He's just always going to produce. And I think he might not be an MVP candidate, but he's always going to put up good numbers from the shortstop position. Dude, his counting numbers are always going to be dumb. They're going to be so stupidly good. And yeah. Volpe, I mean, last year was his his breakout year, right? Across low and high A, I mean, he was utterly incredible. 109 games, OPSing over 1,000 at 1027, 35 doubles, 27 pumps, 33 for 42 on the bases. This year, 
yeah, the OPS ticks down by 200 points. He hits 250. He slugs 460. But still, 35 doubles, 21 homers, and he was 50 for 57 in the stolen base department across double and triple. So, you know, it, it's not like he was just going on on an 0-1 breaking ball every time. He was going on, on good pitchers. Um, if he can do this consistently, undoubtedly, he's, he's a top 10 prospect in the game. Yeah. Absolutely. And the only reason why he slipped a little bit, you know, people were like, oh, why did Volpe fall? He fell like two spots. Yeah. And the only reason why he fell two spots is he had the status quo year. Like this is what I, you know, at the very least was expecting from Volpe. I mean, I was hoping maybe a little bit more, but 50 bags. Were you expecting 50 bags? No, no, no. Definitely wasn't expecting that. But you you know what I'm talking about from like the rest of uh, the offensive production department. I would say the bags definitely helped because I think that's going to be a part of his game. And he's going to find a way to provide value in ways that, you know, maybe most traditional players don't. Uh, But, you know, you talk about the slow start. April, what was it? 693 OPS. And you go to yeah, May, 676 OPS. But then it gets to June, 898. Then you go to July, 1000. But then in August, back down to 810. And then September, back down to 723. It was like this arc. Um, I, I think he's going to be an 800 OPS guy, 800 to 850 OPS guy every year. He's going to steal the bags. He's going to play good defense. And, you know, I think he's going to surprise you with some special years where all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, Volpe hit 30 this year because of the way that he's able to lift, especially to his pull side uh, and, and especially in that Yankee stadium. He's going to be just a, a war accumulator, too. I think he fits that bucket as well. And he's just he's just a really good – he's a franchise piece for them. He really is. And I think that even though he doesn't have the, the MVP ceiling as most of the other guys in this range will have, he's so safe with still perennial all-star upside and all of the intangibles that you're looking for. And this is exactly the kind of prospect every team wants to have in their system. And he's just 21 years old. Yankees have needed a shortstop for a long time, and they got their shortstop. T.D. Gregorius wasn't that guy? I thought he was. A lot of people did. He did have that like one or two good years. Um, 11. A guy that's not nearly as safe, but way more upside. Kind of fitting the conversation here. Jackson Chorio. Outfield prospect Milwaukee Brewers. Um, Chorio is, is like 14 years old. And just yeah. had ridiculous level of success, and that's why we saw him, you know, so highly regarded. His actual age is 18 years old. He started the year at 17 years old, and as a 17-year-old in low A, put up just phenomenal numbers, and then turned 18 during that duration. But 62 games there, he hit 12 home runs, stole 10 bags at 324, 373, 600. Talking to a lot of people in the industry, and even talking to Baseball America folks, because they were the most bullish on him, and I needed to just kind of find out why they put him in number two, 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 and it was. The fact that they saw a lot of his tools as sevens instead of sixes, seven, 70 runner, uh, 70 future field, which we agreed with. I didn't see 70 you know, power potential or anything like that, but he's six one, one seventy. 170, definitely has more room to fill out. Uh, the defensive ability, I think, is what really put him over the top for a lot of people, uh, for a lot of evaluators. Uh, but he still has a, a long way to go before I'm sold on the bat totally. But you can't deny 20 home runs uh, for an 18-year-old between low A and high A. I think that's that's just as impressive as it gets from yeah. Jackson Chorio. It's hard for me to take anything from this year in terms of like this is finite what we're getting except for the defense. I The defense, like it's always going to be really good. It's obvious that he has an innate feel to play an elite defensive outfield that you don't find in very many guys on this top 100 list. You find that in Pete Crow Armstrong. And then after that, it might be Chorio. Yeah. 
No, I think those are the the two best defenders, really, you're looking at in the outfield. And, and the difference with Chorio is 18 with, with you know, crazy offensive upside. He's a plus-plus runner. I think stolen bases will be more of a part of his game. But it, the raw power is there. I think you can you can look up to potentially plus raw power. I think yeah. he's closer to the 55. But, again, there's a lot more room to fill out maturation-wise. He's, he's 18. Um, so I think there's a lot of upside being dreamt on here. Um, it, but – the present ability to defend, you know, solidifies that floor a little bit. I'm very excited to see how the bat profiles in double A next year and how he makes that adjustment. That said, he could suck next year. And oh no, okay, he's 19 next uh, the year after that in double A repeating the level. Like yeah. he's got a lot of time to to burn, even if things don't go totally as planned, which is just, you know what it, we're looking at here. Yeah, man. It just felt crazy to see him at two on Baseball America. And I know we were spending the hell out of what BA does. Yeah, it was it was aggressive. And I think that shows you what what they feel about him. It's just I just wasn't quite there. And you know, especially when we see the, the Christian Pache's of the world. And you know, uh, have we seen how enough about, to say that this guy's not Christian Pache? I don't know. I don't think dude, so. Yeah, how about how about a Dominguez even? I mean, we're talking about Dominguez, and Dominguez is an entirely different player at age twenty than he was yeah. at age seventeen, eighteen. And, and I'll say if we're talking upside and, and things that guys have shown at the lower levels, I mean, I know James Wood is older, but, you know, I might be more inclined to put James Wood in the top 10 if I'm going to put one of these younger, lower, lower level guys that have a lot to prove still. Um, I think there's more to dream on and, uh, you know, there w- with James Wood. That said, Trey is a number 11 ranked prospect in baseball, has five tool potential. Um, and, and the bat's going to be the big question. And I think we're going to find out some of that answer next year. Yeah. Now, our pitching prospect of the year Andrew Painter at number 10 Philadelphia Phillies 67220 we've talked a lot about Painter so we don't need to spend too much time we'll kind of spark note this one with a quick back and forth but I'll just go over the pitch grades you know I, Jack you can highlight the numbers that really stand out to you and then anybody who you know really wants to to learn more about Painter check out our article on him or yeah. of course the write-up but you know about just what made him so dominant this year and what made him our pitching prospect of the year or minor league pitcher of the year I should say 70-grade fastball, 70-grade slider, 60-grade curveball, 55-grade changeup, and 60-future command. Um, that sounds like the future top pitching prospect in baseball if Yuri Perez graduates before him or assuming Grayson Rodriguez will graduate before him. This guy's going to be a superstar. Yeah, I, he's going to be one of the best pitchers in the game, man. I mean, he, he made four starts last year at the complex after he was drafted at, at Calvary. And six innings across four starts. So it was like an inning or, or two at any given time, six innings, four hits, no runs, 12 strikeouts, no walks. <laughs> okay. He's obviously way too good for that. Uh, starts a year in low a nine starts, a one, four ERA then goes to high a eight starts, a 0.98 ERA goes to double. He is just terrible. Five starts, a two, five, four ERA. <laughs> and maybe the worst thing. I mean, this guy could not survive. 28 and a third innings, 37 strikeouts, two walks. Two walks. That's the craziest part. Are you effing kidding me with this guy? He's insane. And and you look at the year as a whole, right? Obviously, the ERA jumps out. A 1.56 ERA across 22 starts. But what should really jump out to you is 155 strikeouts compared to 25 walks. 6.2 Ks to walks. 13 and a half Ks per nine, 2.2 walks per nine. This guy is so ridiculously good within the zone. He is going to carve major league hitters. He could carve major league hitters 
in the NLDS if they chose to add him to the roster and start him <laughs> instead of Bailey Falter in game. What's what's crazy is he's six seven and nineteen. He's like this combination of Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler. Yeah, you know where you're getting the command and the stuff and the the athleticism too. It's it's incredible to watch. Um, I mean, you highlight the numbers. Not only did the numbers get better, the pitch usage got better. As he rose levels, as he continued to jump, we saw more of the changeup. We saw a little bit less of the fastball, which he dominates with. It's a 70-grade fastball. That's one that could end up encroaching in 80 territory. He sits 97 to 98 with 18 to 20 inches of induced vertical break. People had a 601 OPS against his fastball this year with 30% K rate, and he threw it 62% of the time. But as the season went on, we saw more of the changeup, more of the changeup, more of the changeup. I'm like, this guy is focused on debuting next year as well. We'll see how the Phillies handle him. I think we see him next year too. He's just too good. Uh, I, I don't want to waste any more bullets in the minors. He, he, we saw the strikeout to walk ratio get better at each level. I mean, that's all you really need to see. He was born in 2003. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Number nine, Diego Cartaya. Yeah. Catching prospect, Los Angeles Dodgers. What a year for Diego Cartaya. Somebody who I, I was a little bit skeptical of going into this year because he had some gaps in his swing. He was very pull happy and, you know, sliders were chewing him up. He fixed that with ease. He made some slight adjustments in the box, started to use the field a lot better. Swing looked a lot better. We're talking about a 21 year old, just turned 21. He was 20 for this whole season. 21 year old catching prospect who's 6'3, 220 pounds, big power. Great defender, another elite makeup guy in terms of pitchers love to work with him. Older pitchers appreciate, you know, how mature he is as a game caller, pitch caller, and just handling the staff. But then also has the offensive upside to be, you know, one of the best hitting catchers in baseball. Um, there's a world where Diego Cartaya ends up being the better player than Francisco Alvarez, and I don't think that's very crazy. Alvarez has more proven at the upper levels. That's what gets him ranked higher here. Uh, but I think Cartaya could be the more well-rounded catcher, and I think we kind of saw it this year. I think Cartaya is a great player. He he is exceptional, and, and he's in the right system to develop as a hitter too. Um, Cartaya was the one that everybody was dreaming on, right? A 10-23 OPS, 31 games in low A, away from the complex last year. He was just so, so good. Um, he comes back this year. This is his chance to play. And he doesn't miss in low A. He goes to high A. He doesn't miss. I mean, it was it was a 22-double, 22-homer season. Drove in 72 across 95 games. He walked a good bit. He didn't strike out over-the-top over amounts. I mean, he could be the heir to Will Smith. They could let Will Smith walk. I think they move him. You know, I think, you know, or... They split some time and play play him at third or play him like play him somewhere else. I don't like Diego Cartaya though is is that well rounded traditional catcher that I think is he's going to kind of take over that position. I really do think so, and you know that might be a little bit of prospect bias uh, that we always want to you know push the old man out of the picture when when a prospect we like is coming up. But you know I think he's the more traditional well rounded catcher that it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Diego Cartaya kind of get that nod uh, and, and you know, ultimately Will Smith's bats where all the value comes. Diego Cartaya gives you a lot more than the bat. And I know the Fangraphs prospect TLDRs sometimes are pretty ridiculous. Sometimes they're really good. I think this one was really good. Cartaya is a Salvador Perez starter kit. is what their TLDR says for him. And I, I agree with it. Remember, Perez used to be a re fantastic receiver and blocker. He and he's a big guy. Cartaya is a big guy. Yeah. And, and pitchers love working with them. It, it, it does fit the mold. I liked that TLDR from them. Yeah. Um, 
didn't call him big bodied or or whatever. Oh, pot bellied and unorthodox. Pot bellied and bizarre. Yeah. Um, checking in number eight is Jordan Walker, who's playing in the fall league right now. Cranked one the other day. Outfield prospect for the St. Louis Cardinals. Isn't that weird to say? Uh, you know, the Cardinals, shit, man, they probably could have used him in this series. Uh, Walker still has some work to do in terms of his development and hitting off speed pitches a little bit more frequently. He crushes changeups, but uh, sliders have done him in a little bit, but he crushes fastballs and changeups to such a ridiculous degree that he has just been able to walk through the minor leagues as a youngster and, and really has not blinked at any level. He doesn't miss mistakes. He doesn't miss fastballs. And he has just turned into one of the more exciting offensive prospects in baseball. 20 years old. He was 19 at the season start and played the entire year in double. At age 19, played the entire year in double and hit 306, 388, 510 with 19 homers. How about 22 bags on 27 tries? Yeah. This guy's 6'5, 220 pounds and moves. He's an above average runner and did all of this while learning the outfield. Yeah. This guy's going to be special. And folks, he didn't strike out much, no. <laughs> which which is crazy. Like he's a really good hitter, and this is another one that we're talking about with just insane power. You've got the eighty raw power on him, but you've got a fifty future on the hit tool. That's the thing, man. He could turn into that Jordan, where he's just a good hitter yep. that had some of the best power in all of baseball. Yep. There are guys that that lean into their power more than they do, and they sacrifice the hit tool. And I think that we saw that in the early goings of O'Neill Cruz's career, where he was the other 80 raw power guy on this top 100 at the last time yep. we put it out. And O'Neill was more of a power and less of a field to hit guy. Jordan Walker is field to hit, but he has a ton of power. So he can put any type of swing on a ball and it can go 400 feet. Um, where's his home defensively? That's the only question for me. Yep. That's the question. But, we, you know, we watched this guy steal 22 bags on 27 tries. He's obviously a a frame defying athlete. You look at the arm. He was a two-way prospect at a high school up to 95 on, on, on the mound. Athletic, big arm. His reads were, were brutal in some spots I watched, but this is a guy that never played the outfield. He got better as the year went on, assuming that he works all off season on his reads. I mean, that's something that if you're an athlete, you can learn that. Yeah. Especially in right. If he's an average with his reads and routes, He's an above-average runner with a plus-plus arm. He can be a, an above-average defender in right. The bat is not a question for me. It's just how high is he going to go with the bat because he doesn't miss fastballs. I can't emphasize that enough. He does not miss fastballs. This year hit 341, 427, 622 against him as a 19-year-old. That's a 1,048 OPS. Assuming he bails out a little bit, front side leaves a little early, especially on sliders. Only thing to watch. If he gets better with that, he's pretty much going to be impossible to beat because he's got the power. He's got the field to hit. You talk about the strikeouts not being bad. The chase rates could even be better. That's the craziest part. He's chasing 31% of pitches. That's going to naturally get better. He's too smart of a player. He's going to be, he's going to be a really well-rounded player. Another guy that's a safe bet to get in the top five as the others graduating could have a claim at number one overall prospect as he gets more acclimated in the outfield. Big reason why we saw him in the fall league was to work in the outfield. I don't think they care about what he does with the bat uh, as much because I think they're pretty sold. The Cardinals are on that bat. Uh, but I mean, if Walker even is an average defender and right, forget about it. And forget if you can play it. first two, you have a little bit of positional versatility with a bat that is as good as any you're going to see in the minor leagues and elite raw power that he's still tapping into, by the way, he's, he's got more juice in there that he hasn't fully tapped into. This guy's going to be a menace. Forget about it. 
Checking in at number seven. Talk about a wonderkin here. Yeah. Yuri Perez, right-handed pitching prospect, Miami Marlins, 19 years old. He's six foot eight. He's six foot eight. But guess what? He throws strikes. And that's what makes him and Andrew Painter so incredible. Uh, what you put Yuri Perez over the top for me was a lot of the honestly more data-driven stuff. Uh, because I think both did a really good job of of commanding their stuff and and really flashing what is three plus potential pitches. The difference is Yuri is you know, spent the whole year in double A that the numbers were a bit inflated. He, I think that's something that you have to take a note of a lot of the earned runs. I think came from him in Biloxi, a launch pad where that lineup, they faced him like seven times. And by the end, I just watched them just trying to ambush the fastball at, at all costs. And, you know, that was, that was something that's a challenge, right? you got to give them different looks through the minor league season, but you already spent the entirety of the season in double A, despite being 18 years old at season start and being six foot eight, throwing strikes to the way he does. He averaged 97 miles per hour on his fastball. His slider is dynamite. The feel for the changeup is impressive for a kid of his age on top of the fact that he is six foot eight. And then he even mixed in a curveball. We're talking about a four pitch mix that is all above average three plus pitches and command that is chance to be elite. So 2,500 RPM fastball and flirting with 3000 RPM slider. Yep. Okay. We saw Joe Musgrove just get through seven one-hit innings against the Mets. With that pitch data. With with 2,500 RPM fastball, 3,000 RPM slider. And not to mention that Yuri Perez releases the ball like 52 feet from home plate. Yeah. I mean, what's the ceiling? Best pitcher in baseball. Right. But here's the thing. What's the floor? Yeah, three. <laughs> right. That's an incredible so three. Good. And, yeah. and this was when I, I got some Marlins fans tweeting at me, uh, which was funny. They're like, you're a disgrace, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, playfully because Fangraphs had Yuri at two. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I was trying to, you know, I just honestly, I think, you know, just a little bit of the injury at the end of the year, a little bit of inconsistency overall. But if you go purely data, and I know we we balance it all, and that's the only reason why Yuri's not you know, maybe even like number one pr- prospect in baseball. Because if you look at the pitch data, this guy's probably the number one prospect in baseball. Like that's how incredible the data is. But this is a guy that I've seen a lot in person. I think if we're talking about pitchers at the top of this top 100 list, there isn't anybody I've seen more than Yuri because I got to see him on the backfields a lot. And then some make a start this year as well. And in double, but saw a lot of looks at him before the season uh, started in the backfields. And you can just see how uncomfortable hitters are. Hitters counts where they're cheating for the fastball. They were still late on it. And that was something where I'm like, okay, that's that's something that tells you how good a fastball is here. Sixteen percent swinging strike rate on his heater is is silly, uh, and I think it could have been better. He missed his spots at times with with the heater. The control was great. The command could get a little bit better. He's gonna get there, right? He's nineteen, and we talked to uh, a couple guys on the Pensacola Buahus. You go back a few episodes, I think more a couple dozen episodes, but uh, we talked to Zach McCambly, who's you know a, a very solid pitcher in his own right and showed some incredible flashes this year. Before injuries kind of derailed his season, but Zach McCambly with the Marlins. What was the one thing that he said about Yuri? It wasn't about how tall he was. It wasn't about how hard he threw. It was the, it was the mental. It was yeah. the ability to compartmentalize mistakes, to turn the page. He gives up a home run. He doesn't give a shit. He's throwing a strike the next pitch. That, again, you look at all these prospects, there's a commonality here. A lot of them have elite makeup and elite work ethics. And Yuri Perez is kind of in that built different category. And there's a lot of shades of Sandy Alcantara in this kid. Too many. 
<laughs> and he's way better than Sandy was at this yeah. age. I mean, I watched Sandy get sent back down. I was covering yeah. that game when he got sent back down and everybody was floored. Um, yeah. I don't think Yuri Perez will ever go back to the minors once he gets yeah. a shot at the big league level. I don't think so. Number six, Francisco Alvarez, catching prospect, New York Mets. Um, up and down at the end of the year in terms of you know what he did offensively. I've talked ad nauseum about the high fastball stuff, so we don't need to go too deep into that and about how you know the riding fastballs have given him trouble at the top of the zone, and that was something that got exploited in AAA. He crushed lefties, and that's why the Mets ultimately called him up. The, the defense definitely made strides this year. The bat is really good. He reached AAA as a 20-year-old and still remained productive. There was more whiff, more concern uh, with certain things, but that's just because these pitchers are good enough to exploit the holes in his game. If yeah. he can get better at laying off the elevated heaters, which I think he naturally will, I mean, th- this guy's got, you know, best – I'm not going to say anybody has best catcher in baseball upside anymore because of that Adley dude up there, but yeah. you know, he's got, you know, best offensive catcher in, uh, in baseball upside, I think. If it, if it all works out for Alvarez, he, he has 35-40 home run pop here. Uh, and, and a better feel to hit, I think, than most catchers with his kind of power have. It's yeah. just that fastball that eats him alive right now at the top of the zone, but he's 20. Yeah, he's 20. Um, I'm with you. Like, with with how good Adley is defensively, I don't think Alvarez is ever going to be the top catcher in baseball. Um, but I, I think he can be the best offensive catcher in baseball in large part because of how many home runs he can hit, right? It's yeah. the Salvador Perez conversation where yeah. Sal Perez sucked last year defensively but he hit 49 homers. So he's going to be a top five finisher in the MVP voting. That's yep. what Francisco Alvarez can do. And he's not going to suck. Francisco Alvarez is a solid enough. No, he's good. That's sure. He's like, fine. Even if he's average to slightly above average, what he's going to do offensively is going to make him a top five catcher immediately in a depleted position group. And I mean, he's just such an athletic hitter. I really think this guy it's going to be a question if he's more in the 240, 250 range or 260, 270 range. And, you know, I think walks will be huge to watch there because if he's, you know, earning his walks, that'll take a lot of pressure off the hit tool. But I don't really have any questions that this guy's going to hit 30 home runs at the highest level. Like, I already think he's going to hit enough to do that. And there's no doubt he, he doesn't miss mistakes. He's one of the best mistake hitters in the minors. And once we see him shore up on the fastballs, on the elevated heaters, and he's going to be a very, very, very menacing hitter. And another guy that you look at, the Mets have been looking for someone to kind of hold down the catching position for a while. Francisco Alvarez will be holding down the catching position for the foreseeable future in Queens. I think so. I think so. Number five, somebody who I wish I could say will be holding down the catching position for his big league club, but he probably won't. We don't really know what's going to happen here. Gabriel Moreno. Toronto Blue Jays catching prospect at number five and Moreno. We saw him go yard for the first time in the minor league or sorry, in the first time in the big leagues, excuse me. In that final game of the season, it was in, in cold weather backside oppo 385, 400 foot Homer, which is really impressive because I mean, this dude has power and that's the thing I want to emphasize. It's a 70 hit tool. It's one of the best hit tools in the entire top 100, let alone the fact that he's a catcher. But here's the thing is he actually has power. He's above average raw power. He does, he does, he does. I can't emphasize that enough. We just haven't seen him consistently tap into it. He showed like he was starting to do it last year, and then he got hurt. And then he comes back this year, and the power hasn't totally been there. It's there. It's just he keeps trying to find the balance of still being that elite hitter while also trying to tap into power. You don't want to give up your, your, your best asset, which is your hit tool, by trying to sell out for power. And that home run to right center field is what I think we can get used to. He's got the ability to do that. He's going to hit for average. He's a really solid catcher defensively as well. 
And I don't think there's much question there. It's just whether he's above average or well above average. The hit tool is phenomenal. He's a lot like Alejandro Kirk. And Kirk took some time to tap into power as well. And he's way more athletic than Kirk. I don't know what the future holds, man. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but fuck, he's so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do this to you. I'm so sorry. Um, career slash line, 306, 388, 439, averaging 37 doubles, 12 homers, 80 driven in. Does that sound like Gabby Moreno? Um, wait, what was, what was 30, that? 306, 388, 439 slash line, 37 yeah. doubles, 12 homers, 80 driven in. Yeah, it sounds like him. That sounds like Moreno with good yeah. with good defense behind the plate if he sticks there. Yeah. Um, not as good as this guy. And, and you know, he'll strike out a teensy bit more than this guy, but those are Joe Mauer's career numbers. Per oh my God. I'm I thought sorry. you were about to give me some like bum and like tell me that how I, I'm, I'm overselling the bat here. No, no, no. Like it's dude. I, he's he's a That's great power. I, I it's there. Like it's actually there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I'm. I know I'm guilty of constantly giving you the crazy comps, but I mean, a 300 hitter with a ton of doubles and the occasional homer. It's Joe Mauer. It's Gabby Moreno. You know what Moreno did in 22 games at the big league level this year? Yeah, he hit 310. He hit 320. 320. Yeah, I mean. He played 22 games, accumulated almost a full win. And they played him 19 games at catcher, two at DH, one at second, one at third, one at left. He's such an athlete. Um, I don't know what the hell their plan is. I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you this. I love Kirk. I think Moreno ends up being better. In terms of just an all-around catcher, I really think he ends up being better. What the Blue Jays do about that, I have no idea. Um, but we're talking about a dude that's not going to strike out really at all. It's a fifteen to fifteen percent strikeout rate. I think is what's what's going to normalize at the big league level. Walk rates remain consistent over the last year and a half. Uh, walked at a nine percent clip this year, which is phenomenal given the the bats of all skills he has. The power is going to get there. And again, I think Joe Mauer is like the hundredth percentile outcome. But like, man, I I could see it. I could definitely see it. Sorry. <laughs> How about the 100 percentile outcome of this guy? Uh, Ellie De La Cruz at number four, shortstop, Cincinnati Reds. Switch hitter, the only other 80 power in this conversation here. 70 runner. I can promise you the only 70 runner, 80 power guy. Um, my gosh. <laughs> We've talked about him a lot, too. This is a guy I've been you know, in on for, for a long time since I saw grainy backfield footage. Yeah. 6'5 at 200 pounds. It seems like he can get from first to third in you know, three strides. But you know, the, the power, a 512-foot home run this year to go with the speed, to go with a plus-plus arm, to go with – really, he looks like he was created in a lab. He is as freakish as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean – I've said it. I'll say it again. I think he's the best player on planet Earth that has yet to play a Major League Baseball game. Yeah. I, and and somebody asked then, Jack, why is he not number one? Uh, because you've got three, two, and one on this list that are utterly sensational, phenomenal, everything. Um, one guy above him has not played a Major League Baseball game, but one and two have played Major League Baseball yeah. games. Fair. So Fair. Uh, Ellie is a freak. He does absolutely everything well um i wish he walked more 
Yeah, but that, that's the, probably the only reason why he's not hired, dude. We're talking about a 36% chase rate, no walks, a little bit of whiff. So it's like there's risk in that profile, but when you slug the way he does on contact, you're generally going to be pretty good. He is a better prospect than O'Neill Cruz could have ever been perceived. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, same, it's going to be same wheels, gonna be, and he, he's more advanced. He really is, dude. It's going to be Ellie and O'Neill Cruz at the top of every baseball savant leaderboard. Oh, dude. I mean, sprint speed, absolutely. Exit velo is off the charts. I mean, this guy's already put up a one eighteen, um, and he's going to get stronger. He's like still skinny as shit. He's six five two hundred. He's going to get stronger. Yeah. Um, this guy's this guy's going to be you know if it all works out, it's going to be a superstar. Right handed swing is lagging behind the left handed swing. I'd rather it be that way. I'd rather it be that way. I'd rather it be that way. And he's going to be he's good enough righty that it's it's better than the left on left matchups. He, he's he's really good, man. Uh, I think this is you know MVP candidate if it all works out. Switch hitter with with the tools that he has. He's going to miss hit baseballs that leave Great American Ballpark. Um, I'm interested in how soon we see him. The fact that he remained this productive despite the 36% chase rate and like, you know, slightly high whiff rates. It's, it's a testament to his ability, but he's going to need to rein that in a little bit uh, to have success at the AAA and big league level. Um, yeah. You know, 31% strikeout rates high, but he's so talented that he kind of adds value in every other way. Got to improve the approach though. And he'll start in triple. Yep. He will absolutely start in triple. A guy that I'm hoping will start in the big leagues at number three is Grayson Rodriguez. And I mean, what more can we say about Grayson Rodriguez? of the Baltimore Orioles, who's been my number one pitching prospect in baseball for some time. So great to see him return from injury and look dynamite, uh, you know, in his return. He's another one that you put up the numbers, Jack. They're just video game. They're stupid. It, it's like you look in and you're just like, what is this? How did he do this? Uh, well, I'll just read you the pitch grades. 70 fastball, 60 slider, 60 curveball, 70 changeup with an 80 future. If he commands it a little bit better, that's how good his changeup is. And a 50 cutter, 55 command. Uh, that'll give you the best pitching prospect in baseball. Yeah, I mean, I could go through his numbers like a two two six ERA this year in in seventeen starts. He had a two six ERA in twenty three starts last year. Um, here's the thing about G Rod. I think you wouldn't push back if I said, "You sure that slider isn't seventy? You sure that curveball isn't 70? Like, there's a chance at some point of, in his major league career, some point soon, he's got seventy on fastball, slider, curveball, and changeup. Yeah, and who Which does that? Uh, like Walker Bueller does. Walker do Bueller, that. that's it, and that's why we said it. I think the comp is Walker Bueller here, with more hopefully knock on wood durability. Yeah, that's insane. So it's insane. It's it is best pitching prospect. Forty one percent chase rate on his changeup, and I've never twenty six percent swinging strike rate on his changeup. Comical. I I don't know if I've ever seen that. He throws it twenty percent of the time. This guy's. This guy's going to be a problem for a long time. And talk about a franchise that needs this player too. He's in the conversation as well. He's their ace next year. If he's healthy, he's their ace right yes. away. Might be the, I don't know the last time we saw a guy debut as the opening day starter. I would make the case that Grayson should do it next year. I know we talked about that. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, man. I mean, like he's not just a one, he's not Baltimore's one. He's Baltimore's ace. He becomes ace. an ace immediately. I think he's one of the few guys that just it's like hit the ground running. He's front line. You don't need to overthink one. Um, it, it, a la Jose Fernandez, you know, the way he came up and I know he's one of the best pitching prospects ever, but you know, when Jose came up, his pitch mix, his dominance, so his competitiveness, he just came up and yeah, I agree. Just came up and carved. It was just that simple. Um, yeah. Guy that came up and mashed Gunnar Henderson, number two. Yeah. Um, I mean, geez, man, he is so good. It was really between him and, 
I think if Grayson was healthy, he's in this conversation too. Cause if we would have had a full season of Grayson Rodriguez or, and I would have really been able to push my agenda, but <laughs> Gunnar Henderson, number one prospect in baseball for, for baseball America. I, I think, you know, you can make the case for him being number one by just about anybody's standards. Power is crazy. The hit tool is so impressive for his age. I mean, just was one of the youngest guys in triple and gets up to the big leagues and mashes there. Uh, always had upper body, lower half inconsistencies with the swing, shored that up. His swing is so simple. His moves are so simple, yet he has so much power and impact on the baseball. And then he's a good defender at short. He's made huge strides there. He's an above average runner. He still has more room to, to really, you know, beef up even a little bit more. And I mean, this is a five-tool player. The next two guys are five-tool players in every sense. Yeah, I, I like the way that Baltimore used Gunner when he got up. I, I like that they had him at third for the majority, um, but he also played a little short. He played a little second, and he DH'd a couple of times too. Um, I think that Gunner is the third baseman of the future for the Baltimore Orioles, but I think this is a Machado-type guy, right, where he can play third, but he can also – it's not because he can't short, short when you run into an injury. It's not because he can't play short. Exactly. Like yeah. Machado was elite at third. And, and, and I'll, you know, I think Gunner will be really, really, really solid at third if he plays third. Like, I think he can play an above average shortstop. The way this organization shakes out, they might prefer Gunner at third. I think the bat profile is there. I don't have a preference personally. It's, you know, I'd have to be there every day and internally be able to decide that. But in terms of the prospect perspective here, Gunner can play shortstop at a, at a big league level. Yeah, he could, from, play, he could play plus third base. Yeah, I, and I think that's I think that's the same that's the same decision process that, that they went through with Manny Machado, right? It was yep. you're either going to be one of the best defensive shortstops in the game or the best defensive third baseman in the game, and that's what we're that's not what we're talking about with Gunner. He is not the defender that Manny was, but at He's this really point in his career, Gunner is a better hitter than Manny Machado was. Yeah. So I think you're looking at the next third baseman and from the outside looking in, it feels like Baltimore is really happy with what they found in Mateo. And I think that they're going to be excited in what they have in Westberg and Connor Norby that I think if third base is short up, you can fill the middle of the infield. I will push back on the Machado thing though. He was pretty good at 20 years old. Manny. Yeah. I don't know. It's putting hairs. That is crazy though. But I, I, I would, I would argue yeah, that, Gunner might be a more well-rounded player at this point than Manny Machado was. And you look at what Manny did as a 19-year-old in double A in 2012, a 120 WRC plus. So, I mean, he's more productive than Manny was. I'll tell you that. I, I'll give you that one, especially with the 2020 season loss. Last thing I'll say on Gunner, he has the ability to hit the ball 480 feet, but also has the ability to spray the ball all over the field. When you blend those two with a good approach, 15% walk rate as well this season between all levels, including the big leagues, I'll bet on that guy. Uh, 21 years old, he's only going to get better hit tool-wise. I think he's going to you know, round out to a 55-grade hitter. And then everything else is, is just really impressive. If he's a third baseman, it's pretty much plus tools across the board then. Um, whereas if he's a shortstop, he's you know average defender, above average at best. If he's a third baseman, you're looking at maybe 60s across the board with the one fringy aspect being the hit pool, but he gets into, you know, he's able to, be as productive as possible because of everything else he does uh you know speed power using the whole field that it's a it's a high-end 55 hit tool yeah 100 last guy and my number one prospect our number one prospect uh, one of my favorite guys in in just the game period is is corbin carroll already and you know, corbin carroll of the arizona diamondbacks he could not have impressed more honestly in in his start i 
I just love everything we saw from him. We saw the power. We saw the speed. We saw the defense. Like, he showed us everything that we would have wanted to see. 32 games, Jack, 1.4 F war for Corbin Carroll already. They played him more and left, which is interesting because I think Alec Thomas was there for the most part in the year. And, you know, I think they wanted to keep Thomas there until they sent him down. I don't know what the long-term, you know, approach is. Defensively for Carroll. If Carroll plays left, he's going to win the gold glove, I think, almost almost every year. <laughs> That's how good he is in left. If he plays center, I think he can win gold gloves too. And he'll be an above average outfielder there. But we're talking about best defender in baseball, I think, if they keep him in left. Regardless, the power, I, I keep seeing people sleep on the power. He's got plus raw power. I can't emphasize that enough. Plus raw power. He's the fastest runner in baseball. He's an 80-grade runner. He's either one of the best left fielders in baseball or a really good center fielder. And, I mean, there's a little bit more whiff. He sold out a little whiff for more power, but he is such a smart hitter with just barrel control, grinder, tough to strike out, walks a lot, uses the whole field that he he earns it a comfortably you know plus hit tool for me. You said he was a 1.4 F4 guy in 32 games? Yes. Okay, so if he played 150 games next year, he's a 6.6 F4 guy. Like, dude. I mean – I, at at the very least, from Corbin Carroll, expect a four and a half war season next year. Yep, I, literally, I, I would. That's another one I would say. Like if if he if he's not a three to four win player, I think four win player next year, barring injury, I would be floored. Be floored. And you look at the walk rate, thirteen percent this year across all levels. Strikeout rate at twenty five percent is slightly higher. But remember, this was a guy in a hitter friendly environment that wanted to, you know, show the power. And I, I'm glad he did. I'm okay with a little bit more whiff for a little bit more power because he still hits enough. And again, I think people really sleep on the, on the exit velos. His 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo would have been tops in the organization right there with their first baseman and Christian Walker, who is born, like all he is supposed to do is mash. Ignore the five nine frame. This guy's explosive, twitchy, and generates more bat speed than you'll see from just about anybody with that frame. Bat speed per pound. Corbin Carroll's got to take the cake. I don't hate your decision, man. It was a good one. <laughs> you don't hate it? I don't hate it. I, I like Corbin Carroll as the top prospect in the game. Everything he does is so stupidly good. It's it's incredible. And you know, read more about him on the top one hundred write up, which is linked in the description. Five tool, five tool, five tool as they come. And, and I, I think faster than a lot of people thought with, with the 80 grade speed and another dude intangibles off the charts uh, that really puts him over the top for me. That'll do it for this episode, Jack. I know you got to hit the road drive safe, my friend. Uh, thanks for flying through a hundred with me. We're going to do a little bit of all MILB teams later this week. And then we'll be talking fall league and, just about everything else in the prospect world. There's still plenty of stuff to discuss and some good interviews to look forward to from some fall league guys as I get out there as well in the coming weeks. Yeah. When you getting out there, I'm thinking next week. So nice. um, it'll be fun. Uh, so Aram's thing is he doesn't book his flights until like less than don't 24 hours out. I'm out don't right me. now. It's don't so me. weird. It's it weird. It yeah. me out for you. Yeah, you know, don't worry, man. I'm okay. I missed some flights here and there. I'm running at about like a 50% clip, but yeah, I'm, I'm a late booker. I've never missed one in my life. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I'm a late booker, but I will be out there. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of fun conversations, a lot of good players out there, uh, and, and we'll be talking to them. Jack, as always, any final thoughts on the top 100 as we wind this down? Um, I... Love it. I, I love talking about this with you. I love talking about uh, the top prospects in the game because I, 
you know, I, I think it's it's much easier to keep tabs on G League basketball than it is on um, minor league baseball. And here's the thing that's unique about this sport, right? The G League, no, none of like the top guys that aren't in the NBA are going to be in the G League unless they're Ignite, right? Unless they're like Scoot yeah. Henderson. You can watch these guys on CBS and Fox and, and ABC and ESPN play top flight college basketball, play top flight college football. Yeah. You can't watch the best non-major leaguers unless you pay for a subscription for, you know, occasionally footage that looks like the moon landing here. Yep. So if we can make this the future superstars in our game more digestible, we're going to do it. And I think you you did it perfectly with this top. Uh, I appreciate that, man. That's what we're here to do. Uh, help you in your dynasty leagues, help you with your cards, help you with whatever. And, and also just keep you informed on the future. Um, and I hope you all enjoyed us going through this top 100. We'll talk to you on all MILB teams later this week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.